Thinking about good things to come And I believe it could be Something that has begun Now I've been smiling lately Dreaming about the world as well And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Welcome everyone, this is Sasha with SashaTalks.com on Moving Mountain. Today I have a great guest joining me, a fiction writer. She is the author of Nonagin. Welcome Haley Kilgore. Hi, hey Sasha, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and I'm really excited to uh, talk a little bit about my first book, Nonagin. Um, you know, it was a wild journey getting there, and I'm really hoping the book itself takes, you know, all of its readers on a wild journey as well. Well, thank you for joining us. For this season, I told myself to challenge myself by inviting and engaging writers outside of my niche. I focus on nonfiction, and I know that for fiction writers, they have a wild imagination. So what was the inspiration behind uh, writing Nanagin? So, actually, I have kind of two really big inspirations. The first one was Christopher Polini's Aragon. I started reading that when I was, I want to say, 13, and just something within it really sparked the creative imagination for me. And then the other thing was that I had a horrible time falling asleep as a kid. And so one day my <laughs> aunt gave me this advice, and she said, well, just tell yourself some stories, which is apparently the worst advice you can ever give to someone who's hyper-creative. <laughs> And so what I would do is I would place myself in books like Aragon, and I'd go on adventures, you know, with the characters. And then that got boring because, well, I knew where the story was going, so I'd change the ending. And then I'd bring in characters from other stories, and then I'd bring in friends. And then after years and years of doing that, I'm sitting here like, oh, I have my own book now. Well, that's fun. Let's go write it. So what was the writing process like? When did you begin? Like, how long did it take to come up with your book? Because it, it happens to be about 450 pages at least. And that means a lot of a lot of creativity, a lot of writing, and I would say a lot of discipline. Uh, yeah, a little bit of everything there. Um, I mean, I think the idea kind of first came to me in middle school. And I sat on it for six, seven years until I got to undergrad. And then I finally decided, you know what, I've tried writing this before. I'm going to write it all the way through. So I spent the summer <laughs> handwriting the first draft in these composition notebooks, which I still have and look back occasionally. And I'm just like, oh, these are so bad. <laughs> and I look at the final draft. I'm like, well, that's what first drafts are for. Um, and I mean, the, the original draft and where the final is, they are not the same story at all. I joined a writing group in college, and that really took things on a sharp left turn. I started adding in a different perspective I didn't think I would have done, and that grew the book. And it just kind of became a, a pet project, and then all of a sudden I one day realized just how much I loved writing, and it wasn't really a chore, so it was actually super easy to write. <laughs> and you might think the book is long now. Uh, it sits at roughly 170,000 words, but when I submitted it to the publisher, it was actually 213,000 words. It was massive. Wow. So for anyone tuning in to Seven Up, I am speaking to Haley Kilgore, the author of Nunagin, which is brought to you by Rock Hill Publishing. The book is also available at Barnes & Noble's, Amazon, Target, and just resuming conversation while you were working on the characters. Which character was the most difficult to develop? Um... 
actually honestly have to say Keegan, which is really sad because she's my main character. But she's a semi-reflection on myself and from the fact where I would put myself into my bedtime stories to myself. So she really takes on my personality, and sometimes it's really hard to sit there and be like, is that how I would react? Is that how the character would react? And it's sometimes really hard to separate two. Um, so I have some people say they really hate Keegan as a character, and they feel bad saying that because she's kind of based off of me. Other people love her, but everyone's got mixed reactions. She was definitely the hardest person to write. Do you feel that your character also exhibits vulnerability in the process? Oh, absolutely. She's very insecure, but the way she likes to portray that is not occurring is being very rambunctious and stubborn and loudmouth. She's a more aggressive version of myself in that sense. Um, so it's really funny to be like, man, if I was like that, people would have hated me so much more <laughs> through life and whatnot and just kind of laugh and, and seeing how some of these, my exaggerated, exaggerated characteristics develop in a character. So for those who are being introduced to different genres of writing, how do you define the fantasy genre for someone who may not know what fantasy is from an author's perspective? So I feel like, I feel like there's so much fantasy, and I think you know, the biggest piece of fantasy literature that pretty much everyone knows of is Lord of the Rings. And I mean, that in itself is just fantasy. It's the, the magic and, and, you know, the other beings and, and creatures and other worlds. And not every fantasy is going to have every single one of those elements. It might exist in the real world, but it might have vampires and demons. And that's still a fantasy. Or you might get something like my book, which is this big, fantastical, magical world out of nowhere. Um, and so there's just different elements. I mean, if you don't particularly care for the monsters, there's a, there's a fantasy book for you. Or if you really do love the monsters, there's books for that too. And there's just, fantasy is just such a big, big genre that anyone can pretty much walk into Barnes & Noble, go into that section, I guarantee you will find a book you like. You just kind of have to look for them. The two main topics that you touch upon within the book have to do with magic and prophecy. So while growing up, were you enchanted by magic? How did you become interested in this concept of prophecy? I always kind of grew up loving magic. Um, Harry Potter was, you know, one of the first actual novels I really read as a kid and just fell in love with. So magic has always been something I enjoyed. And prophecy, I, I don't know, just kind of, I think, happened because as a kid, sometimes I wish I could, you know, be more interesting, be more this awesome hero, and what would happen if I was suddenly, you know, the prophesized chosen one, and that's a really big trope in, you know, fantasy novels anyway, so it kind of just, they worked well together for me. So during the writing process, by the time you were done writing the book, was there something about your own inner self-development that you recognized compared to when you started off writing the book, whether it was in your mindset or how you viewed writing itself. It could also be any other aspect of your life where you could just relate and have that clarity towards that topic. Um, I mean, I think something I kind of realized is that, you know, I could really do anything that I wanted to. Because, I mean, think of how many people every day say, I'm going to write a book, get like two or three chapters in and then quit. Finishing a book, even just the first draft and dropping it there is just, such a, you know, a trial and a, and a task, and, you know, there's always pitfalls, but you learn, and you learn to say, okay, I'm not great now, but I can get better. 
and you become a lot more open to constructive criticism as well. I remember getting constructive criticism on my first draft and just being very angry at what people were saying and being like, well, that's not the case here, and I would try to argue and explain. And now I'm just like, okay, I see your point. All right, let's work with this. How can we fix the problem? And, you know, that's definitely expanded to other parts of my life as well. In one of your interviews, you credit your mom and your aunt for being beta readers. So would you like to share with the audience of how you perceived them to be beta readers? Were they one of your critics while you were writing various drafts? Um, yeah, well, not the first draft. Uh, the very first draft went to just a really good friend of mine, and I would send her photos of the pages every night, and she would read them. Um, and then once I kind of had everything typed up, and it was really, you know, a functional novel, I, you know, I needed someone who would who had the time to read and edit. And both my mom and my aunt are retired, so I'm like, great. Well, they have the time. They're both really good with like grammar and editing. Perfect. They're not really fancy, but I mean, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> they actually ended up making the story so much better not being fantasy readers because a lot of fantasy readers would have looked over some of the pitfalls and just accepted them, whereas they came back and said, well, this isn't right. This doesn't make sense. And so they, it was really fun to see how someone from outside the genre would nitpick a lot differently than someone who did enjoy fantasy. Are you planning to write another book after this? I am. I'm actually working on book two, and I actually just got the edits back from my beta readers um, a couple weeks ago. Will that happen to be a follow-up to Nonagin, or will that be a different fantasy book? No, that is going to be book two of Nonagin. I don't know how many are going to be in series. For a while, I thought it was going to be four. Now I'm thinking it's going to be three, but who knows? The series might just surprise me and say it's going to be five, so we'll see. No, that sounds very exciting because there are some books that go up till seven or eight series. But when you completed your first one, of course, that is an achievement itself. How did you celebrate? Um, I celebrated by editing more and looking to publishers. I mean, that was really kind of what happened once I had that good, solid final first draft before – well, not final first draft, but final draft before submitting it to a publisher, and they tore it apart. Um, so, I mean, I didn't think I really celebrated. I didn't feel the process was over until I had a book in my hands. And then once I did have a book in my hands, I had a nice glass of wine and enjoyed it. I love your book cover, and it seems that your friend was the artist. So did you two collaborate over ideas, or did you just leave it to your friend's judgment? This is what the book is about, and I trust you completely with what you come up with. Um, so we actually did play with some ideas. That's uh, kind of the idea. Well, the, what the cover is is an idea I'd had in my head for a while. And so, you know, I talked to my friend, and we discussed, and she's like, oh, well, here's a couple ideas. And I said, well, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And she's like, oh, let me work with that for a little bit. And then she, she did it, and it was just like, this, this is the cover. This is beautiful. This is just, this is it. Um, so it was a little bit of a team effort, but I think I'd had that idea for a long time, so I knew kind of exactly what I wanted it to look like. What advice would you have for authors who are at the last, last step and they're contemplating whether they should come up with a book cover on their own or they should go shopping for one? Whether they come up with it or they shop for one, what are a few tips that you could offer them to ensure that it's the right book cover for them? Um, well, that kind of depends on whether they're self-publishing or they have a publisher. If they're self-publishing, um, you know, I would definitely look for reputable artists someone who's done some great work and you know they're going to work with you. Um, that would be some really good advice there. 
And for people who do have publishers, talk with your publishers. They are going to have their own ideas on what they might want, but they'll, they'll work with you. You might not get exactly what you want for your cover, but you'll get something pretty close for the most part. And it's just, it might not be exactly what you imagine. Sometimes it's going to turn out better, but you just have to talk to the artist and you'll get exactly what you're looking for. So you touched about shopping around for publishers, and thank you for touching upon that. That's a very important element because there are some authors who think that you're going to send your manuscript to the first publisher and it's going to be a yes. Or you send your manuscript to your chosen publisher and they have a backlog of nine months' worth of manuscripts to read on, and you're lucky if you even get an acknowledgement that they have your manuscript. What was your process like and what guidance do you have for people so they have a realistic outlook on shopping for publishers? Um, so I'm probably one of the luckiest authors on the planet. I got a yes after submitting to two publishers. Um, I met my publisher at a book fair, and I really got to talk to them, see what kind of stuff they publish, and they got a good sense of me. And I remember talking to um, the editor and the owner of the publisher, you know, a year or so later after I signed the contract, and the editor came back and said, you know, the second you walked away, I looked to the owner and said, I want her. I want to publish her. So I, I love to tell people, go to book fairs. It's the best place to meet publishers. And guess what? They can put a name to a face and a face to a name. They'll know who you are that makes them more inclined to be like looking out for your submission. Most people don't get accepted on their first try, and that's okay. There's, I mean, J.K. Rowling got rejected 12 times. She wrote Harry Potter, and she got rejected 12 times. That's almost mind-boggling now if you, if, when you look at it. So, I mean, it's just you have to be persistent. And if they do get feedback, excuse me, feedback you just you got to take the heart. They're not trying to put you down. They're trying to say, you know, this is why we didn't accept it. Work on these things, and then submit it to other publishers and just – you got to keep trying. You have to be persistent. I will say the book fair guidance is probably the best one that I have heard in the past few years because there are those that think that the publisher is going to seek you out and you can't play hard to get with a publishing company when you haven't come out with your first book yet. So when you are not writing, Haley, what do you do for fun? Because you come from a marine biology background, so it seems that you do have the affinity for being by the water and engaging in nature. So share a little bit about what this author does that inspires her to write more. Yeah, so when not in COVID, because COVID is kind of screwed all of my plans, um, I, I actually do like to spend a lot of time at the water. Um, I'm currently working for university as a field tech, uh, sample, taking water samples all up and down the Florida Keys. So I get paid to be on a boat all day out in the sunshine in the Florida Keys, which is awesome in and of itself. Um, but as far as on weekends and whatnot, love to go scuba diving. I do a lot of underwater photography. I do a lot of nature photography, top side as well. Um, and, of course, I like to read a lot too, and I do spend a lot of time writing. So when you do the writing, do you have a certain ritual? Do you write beginning of the day, or do you have, are you one of those authors who will do the speech text notes and then transcribe it? Are there any tips that work for you? Uh, I used to be a morning writer, and then COVID hit, and my schedule got really wonky, and now I tend to write a little bit more in the evening. Um, as far as tips go, thing for writers is if you're having trouble writing, make a time to write in the day, whether it's 10 minutes or two hours. Make time, and make it the same time of day every day. And whether you write five words and you edit five pages or, you know, 
you write five pages and you edit five words. Do something related to your book, even if it's just staring at a page. Um, it'll just kind of create this habit, and it'll make writing a little bit easier. And you know, it's just you, your brain goes into writing mode, and it's just like, okay, I know what we're doing. I know what we have to do. We got. This. Well, you've created the great work of Nonagin, which is brought to the audience by Rock Hill Publishing. Have you gone through about subwriters block? And if so, if you're a human like the rest of the writers, what did you do about it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I remember sophomore year, there were six months where I couldn't write. It was awful. Actually, I'm just getting out of some now, and uh, it's just it's painful. But my biggest advice to writer's block is just walk away. If you can't write, don't force it. You're just going to resent writing that much more. Work on a different project. Go read a book. Go for a walk. Do anything else than what is causing the source of your block. It might take a couple hours. might take a couple months. You will get out of it, but don't force it. It's just that's when you'll start to hate writing, and you never, ever want to do that to yourself. It's pretty clear that you love writing. What would you say about people who aspire to become better writers, but writing is not their love? Do you still believe that there's an opportunity for them to grow that affinity for writing? Absolutely. I didn't find out I loved writing until I was in college. I spent the first 19 years of my life hating writing. Just I would much rather just read a book or go do something else. I didn't care about writing at all. And then I started doing it, and I kind of fell into the pitfall of it and just went from there. And just you find little things about it that make you happy, whether it's creating this really awesome plot twist or putting in this really funny joke that only two people are ever going to get. But you just find little things that bring you joy, and that just makes it so much better and makes it so much easier to write. So as we wrap things up, if you had to sum up Nanagin in two to three sentences without giving away the plot or the climax or the ending, how would you describe <laughs> it? Um, okay, this one's actually really easy. I do this one all the time. What happens if you take a girl from our normal world, put her in a world filled with magic, give her powers, tell her she has to say it? What happens? Chaos. Absolute and utter chaos is what happens. And that is the book. There you go, everyone. You heard it from the author's mouth. This is Haley Kilgore, the author of Nonagin, brought to you by Rock Hill Publishing. Check out the book. It is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And Haley, please let the audience know where they can contact you. So I'm on Facebook as H.C. Kilgour, and you can also find me on Instagram as by underscore H.C. Kilgour. If you can't tell, there's a theme to my social media names, and it's pretty easy. Thank you, Haley, so much for joining us on Moving Mountains, and we hope to nope. cross paths with you again. No problem. Thank you for having me on here. I've loved talking to you. It's been awesome. Everyone, if you have any questions, please go to SashaTalks.com, click on the contact page, and drop a hello. And you're also welcome to drop a hello to Haley Kilgore. Until next time, be good, be well, be blessed. Train, 